gentlemen, to another installment. It's been too long of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax. Thank you so much, wherever you may be, however you may be taking in the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, anywhere you're getting your podcast, your GBB on. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. Like I said, it's been a long time. Obviously, uh, the world being on fire, metaphorically speaking, uh, has definitely played a role in that. But a great opportunity came up this week to talk to an old friend of ours over at the blog, and and he was gracious enough to join us with his time. Uh, he, he's become NBA famous uh, in, in recent weeks, and it's nice that the superstar is going to be able to give us a moment of his uh, time. I'm giving him a hard time here. Uh, but we're excited to have him on this episode uh, my co-host Parker Fleming will not be able to join us. It'll just be me flying solo this week, talking to our guest here momentarily. But before we get to him, ways to get in touch with the podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow the blog that I am fortunate enough to be the site manager of Grizzly Bear Blues over at SBN Grizzlies on Twitter. And of course, you can follow our podcast GBB Live at GBB Live. And even during the pandemic, grizzlybearblues.com is churning out at least a post or two a day taking a look at the draft ways that the nba can kind of resurrect itself and and get back into the swing of things all sorts of different types of content going on currently on twitter we're doing our uh, grizzlies twitter battle which is all sorts of controversial um which is funny to me but anyway we're doing the best we can in these tough times to continue to put out some content over at grizzlybearblues.com so hopefully You'll give us a shout over there and check out the site. My guest for this episode of GBB Live, I mentioned he's Twitter famous at this point. He's NBA famous. He's really smart. Uh, and if you don't follow him at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter, you definitely should. He's written for all sorts of great sites like Yahoo Sports. Uh, he's written at Real GM. He's written at Celtics blog. Our Jack Noonan is a writer over at Celtics blog as well. I have uh, great respect for Jeff and the work that those guys do over there. Uh, he does all sorts of great stuff involving basketball. And like I mentioned, his idea to have the NBA resurrect its season, resume its season, maybe is the better way to put it, at Walt Disney World Resort has caught some has caught some steam. It's built up some steam, and it's looking more and more likely like Keith Smith's uh, overall valuing of Disney when it comes to hosting the NBA is actually going to come to fruition. Keith, uh, my first question for you is this, how long have you been able to look into the future? <laughs> Not very long. I, I didn't know you were going to say all those nice things either. I was starting to wonder who your real guest was. Here, I've been so. told that I'm excellent at introducing people. That is spot on. That is spot on. I'm very that. good at making people sound excellent. Uh, <laughs> And Absolutely. I think that's a compliment to me because I'm able to bring on great guests such as yourself. There so, it is. Uh, yep. Thank you, Keith, for joining me. Uh, I appreciate for you. Sure. You're one of the very best followers out there on Twitter. And I do mean that you do a great job with covering all aspects of the NBA. Um, and I guess first and foremost in these crazy times, and we'll talk a little bit about this. Uh, and we talked a little bit before we started recording. How are you doing? Because I do think that's an important question to ask. You know, you don't want to dwell on it. Everybody is very well aware of what's happening in the world. But I do think, you know, even in these socially distant times, it's important to, you know, just pause every once in a while and ask how you're doing before you get into the nitty gritty of uh, basketball here. 
Yeah, I appreciate you asking. We're, we're doing pretty good. You know, we're, our family, um, all of our immediate family has all been healthy and stayed that way. I'm going to knock on wood here real quick on my desk. Um, but we are doing pretty good. You know, we're dealing with our daughters at the tail end of homeschooling left or our virtual school, I guess is a better way to put it. She's got about two weeks, of, exactly two weeks of school left. And then she's done for the year. And she is... Uh, she, she's done <laughs> like she is she's over it she wants to see her friends she wants to get back out on the soccer field with her soccer team and all that so but if that's the worst that we have to deal with i'm gonna say we're pretty fortunate you know you're exactly right i have two daughters i have a four-year-old and a one-year-old and they both are are very much at the stage where they say they miss their friends every day and yep. you know my oldest daughter caroline will say daddy why can't we hug grandma and i'll say you know why and she just puts her head down and goes because of the coronavirus and <laughs> yeah. she, you know, it, it's a tough time and, and it's tough for kids. You know, I think that I, I read somewhere that we're not all in the same boat because obviously everybody has different situations, but we're all kind of weathering the same storm and yep. every family's situation is unique. And that's one of the fascinating things about what's happening here. And obviously you and I, obviously you on, on the broader scale of the NBA at large and me with the Memphis Grizzlies in particular, our business and the way that we interact and know each other uh, in, in a social media sense and, and through writing is it, with regard to the NBA. And on one hand, it feels silly, you know, when people are dying and our, the unemployment rate is where it is and the economy's in the tank and all, all sorts of different issues. The world is metaphorically on fire. Uh, but at the same time, you want some sense of normalcy to return you want the distraction selfishly of entertainment and sports and, and the NBA is one of those organizations that has that opportunity to resume its season, to try to find a way to do it as safely as possible and to find a way to get back into the swing of things, at least in one way. Of course, it's not going to be exactly the same. There's not going to be 18,000 people in an arena watching the Lakers and the Grizzlies play if the playoffs start right when the season resumes. But it does look like there's momentum towards the season beginning, resuming. And I mentioned your article you wrote, uh, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like it was a month ago or maybe even longer than that. Uh, it was an idea. a month ago. There you go. Yep. Uh, talking about the idea of Disney in Florida hosting the NBA, having the resources, wide world of sports, all that stuff. It was a great article, and I remember reading it at the time. And it's funny that in the weeks that have followed, it has become more and more evident that that is the most likely scenario at this point. Uh, Adam Silver has said as much that it makes all the sense in the world, if you're going to do it, to put the Eastern Conference in Orlando and the Western Conference in Las Vegas, uh, at least in some variants of that or some var uh, variety, it may be sprinkled in here or there but that's kind of the starting point and again as the i'm going to give you credit as the originator of that idea <laughs> uh what makes you think that with everything going on the nba can find itself in a position to be as safe as possible thanks to a host like disney there in uh, orlando florida yeah, so let me start with I worked for Disney for nearly 20 years um, in a variety of different roles, both in Florida and California, uh, both at Walt Disney World and Disneyland. And so I know the property very, very well. When the season shut down, 
it, it did not come to me initially because people were like, you must have thought of this right away. And I said, I didn't because I believed, all right, we're going to shut down for a couple weeks, get this thing under control, and we're going to be right back at this. And I think that's where a lot of us were. But pretty quickly, it became evident this is not going away. And then we started to hear a little bit of murmuring about, eh, maybe we could you know, take everybody to a single site. And there was things like cruise ships thrown out and private right. islands and all sorts of, you like know, UFC's like, fight oh, Island. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And I was like, well, what are we doing here? And the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know, Disney can do this. It's it's Walt Disney world has, you know, everything you need to be able to pull this off. And, and I think, yeah, I know a lot of people come here to Walt Disney World, and I still live in the Orlando area. So when I say here, I am literally by my house is about a mile and a half from the backside of the Magic Kingdom. So when I say here, I pretty much mean here. Um, so it's, uh, you know, but when I think about it, it is you have to have the hotels to house the players. Well, Disney's got that in, in, in abundance. When, when, when you come here, you may, maybe you've stayed on property, but you probably focused on your resort or maybe you've stayed in a couple, but there's over 20 hotels on property, over 20,000 hotel rooms. Um, you have to have the basketball facilities. You've got to be able to have a place, not only to play games, that's, that's in a lot of ways, the easier part. A lot of places can pull that off, but you need to be able to have places for the players to practice. You need to have the, medical facilities, the training facilities, the workout rooms, all those things. You need to have a place for teams to do film and meetings and all that stuff. And that's where it gets a little harder. But Disney has the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. And I know a lot of people are like, I've never even heard of that place. What is it? Well, again, when you come here on vacation, you usually drop your bags and you're off. You're into the Magic Kingdom or Epcot and you're running around riding rides. And you maybe don't ever make it over there. But it's this massive, giant sports facility. They have three indoor facilities, several outdoor facilities. Um, that hosts uh, a bunch of soccer tournaments there. The Orlando City team, when they were still a minor league team, played there. They played their games there. Tampa Bay Buccaneers held training camp there for a number of years. And the Atlanta Braves held spring training there for nearly 20 years. And then the indoor facilities for the basketball, they have a place called the HP Fieldhouse, which is um, that's where they host the Advocare Invitational every year. That's a college basketball tournament over Thanksgiving. And then they have the Visa Center. And that's I liken that akin to like an airplane hangar. It's this big, wide open facility that can be configured. I've been in there when they've had as many as 15 courts set up at a time for the yeah, for the Junior NBA Championships and AAU Nationals. And then there's another building. It's newer. It's, it's only about a year, year and a half old called simply The Arena. It was primarily built for the cheer and dance competitions, which have become so huge and massive um, for Disney that they needed their own facility. But you can fit three courts in there. And these facilities are all broadcast ready. They're all you know set up to be, you know, air whatever it is you want to air. They can do all the stuff. They've got all the rigging and lighting and everything you'd ever need to do this and set it up pretty easy so my general thought was well you make two of them kind of your game court so you can be playing games simultaneously and then you make the visa center into like your practice area you set up a schedule for whatever teams are here and off you go but the most important part is the bubble, right? Do you have to be able to create that bubble? Because if you can't do that, then you can't do this. There, there's no way. You just can't have you know, random people strolling in and out. What I think sets Disney apart from many of the other places that have been mentioned is its private property. So Walt Disney World can essentially do whatever they want to do. They can close down roads. They can close down access points. They can do all sorts of things to be able to say, 
these resorts, this section, the sports complex or whatever, it's only those who are allowed to be in, get in, nobody else gets near the place and that's it. We're done and off we go. And that's not um, something that's unusual for Disney to do. They, they regularly will shut down chunks of the property for things like the Walt Disney World Marathon, uh, for other events. They, they'll, they'll even close um, when they need to for hurricanes and the like, where it is everyone kind of has to shelter in place there with that. Um, and then and I'll cover two other quick things and then I'll let you talk on your own show here. Um, but it's uh, the um, NBA and Disney obviously have a fantastic relationship. ESPN ABC is one of their best broadcast partners who covers more games nationally than, than anybody else does. And then the other is that pro sports have been deemed as essential services here in the state of Florida by our governor. Right, wrong or indifferent. I'm not here to offer up an opinion on that. But he has said that's that's the way it is. They're they're um you know essential sports. And he uh, today, as we're recording this on a Wednesday, he actually said uh, today, "Hey, we'll take all the professional teams who want to come to Florida. We'll find a place for you. We'll make it work." So uh, he he might have you know spoke a little out of turn there because he's not the one who's going to provide fields and hotels and everything else. But he did make it clear, you know, we're going to work with you if you want to come here. And those things I think are you know they they just remove some barriers. To, to entry to get something like this up and running. And, and whenever I say this term that I'm about to use, I don't mean that it's easy because none of this is easy, but Disney can do this with relative ease compared to, I think just about anywhere else in the world. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues live. I am your host, Joe Molinax, that very intelligent gentleman that you just heard describe, a, 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 in my opinion, a pretty solid plan to, to get the NBA rolling again, at least in one area at Disney. Uh, Mr. Keith Smith at Keith Smith NBA. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so. Uh, Brian Windhorst is one of the very worst NBA people that I've uh, encountered in my time doing this. Just not very nice. Uh, I, I've actually been around him a time or two, or one time, and uh, he wasn't very nice. Um, but he probably viewed me as a lowly blogger who probably shouldn't be sitting next to him at the Donald Sterling press conference back in 2014. So <laughs> I or the Adam Silver press conference in Memphis about it. So I can understand to an extent. But anyway, I'm not usually a huge fan of his, but I thought that his piece that he did or his interview with Scott Van Pelt was really well done. Uh, I believe it was last night. I saw it on Twitter. And essentially, Winhorse says that he has no idea and neither does the NBA. And I think that's the most honest thing that you can say right now. Nobody has any real idea. You can have all sorts of contingency plans. But what this is going to become, Keith, is it's almost like a supply and demand chart. You know what I mean? The, the old school econ that you're taught the first day of economics class. Supply and demand. You have to find that intersection point of where supply meets demand, and that's where the most money can be made, essentially. It's almost like you have to put money in risk or, or business in risk or, or you know whatever you want that other thing to be outside of risk. You have to decide how much you're willing to wait or how much you're willing to push in the name of a job or in the name of hundreds of thousands of dollars in a player's salary, or in the case of the NBA, you know, millions upon millions getting into maybe even billions, depending on how long this goes in terms of money lost. And it's not just about millionaire players and billionaire owners. There's, you know, arena workers, there's folks that work in front offices that don't make that much money. Uh, and, and I do think that people automatically assume that these leagues are just swimming in cash. I believe it was roughly 70% I saw of sports organizations in the United States applied for money uh, from the from the CARES Act. 
Now, is it possible that some of them were like the L.A. Lakers and you look at them, you're like, really? Like that that's what you're trying to get done here? Uh, maybe. But at the same time, I think that we're not fully appreciating the trickle down effect that will occur if these leagues have to go a an extended period of time, especially ones that aren't unionized, like all of these leagues, the major ones like the NBA, obviously, they have a union for their players. If you don't have a union to support your job, it makes it a lot easier for a company to furlough you or even lay you off because they can't afford to pay you or they say that they can't. So th- there's lots of layers to this. And and I said this on Twitter the other day, you know, this isn't a black or white thing. There, there's a very much shades of gray in terms of how you perceive this. And you're, it's a lose-lose situation because if the NBA does do this and then people get sick and it, it, it winds up, and, and heaven forbid, it's serious. It eventually is at the feet of Adam Silver. You know, it's his decision. He has to decide how much risk he's willing to take on in the name of resuming the season, money, you know, whatever you want to explain it as. On the flip side, if you just completely shut down and you don't do anything, there's a very real chance that a lot of these leagues, even ones as powerful as the NBA, they might have to contract. They might have to get smaller or even, you know, disband altogether like the WNBA and and things like that. I don't want that to happen. I think the WNBA finally has some momentum behind them in terms of popularity, deserved media attention. But there's going to be consequences for if you don't do business as well. And I think that's something that's being missed. It's a lose-lose situation. And I, I don't think it's as black and white as people make it out to be sometimes. Yeah, I completely agree with that. There is... Yeah, I I had a friend of mine in the league who said it's no different. His wife is a teacher in her school. They where she's a teacher, they they closed and they um they did not furlough them or they did not let them go, but they did have to cut some of their pay. Then some of that she she's at a private school, and some of that was because they're not taking in the tuition and those kind of things. And one of the things he said is he goes, you know. Everybody thinks in the league, it's everybody, everybody thinks everyone's LeBron James and makes, you know, a hundred million dollars. And he said, the reality is it's just not that way. He said, we we're struggling because my wife is losing paychecks. He was um, in his organization. He did not have to take a pay cut, but he does not make that, you know, uh, crazy of a salary. He makes a very livable wage and he does just fine. But he's like, we're really living off just me right now. And then that's one of the challenges I think that people, they, they don't think all the way down in an organization. And even if you limit it to just the players, the, the guys who make the most money, one of the reasons why LeBron has said he won't take less than a max contract is because he owes it to everybody else. Because if he does it, then it's easier for the owners in the front offices to say, LeBron did it. Why shouldn't everybody do it? And there's a piece to that that is that is absolutely true. And you know that they would hold that as leverage over, over folks. But the other piece to it when you think about it is, these guys who is LeBron fine if the NBA just said the rest of the season's canceled. Absolutely. He's going to be okay. He'll be just fine. But look down the rest of the roster. Look at the guys who are, you know, maybe they're, they might only be in there one year in the NBA. And I've been texting with a lot of players and I had one guy openly tell me, this is it for me. I'm probably in my, he's in his second year in the league and this is it. I, I might not get another year in the league. I need to get as much money as I can. Cause I don't know where I'm going to be playing next year. And, and he also then said too, these other places where he may go, 
they don't have the resources the NBA has to them. So if, if the NBA is shut down for a while, then these other leagues are probably going to be shut down even longer or it's not he's not going to feel safe to go there or whatever the case is. So so that's something that I think people need to think about. Now, on the flip side, yeah, there's a safety concern. Absolutely there is. You know, and in the big discussion has been around the wall, if there's a test, do you shut it down or do you keep going? Do you pause it again? And all those things. And I don't think the league is is committed to any one way. I, I think that was probably taken a little too far in the past couple of days, what Adam Silver said, but I think he is right. And if we're going to say one positive test shuts this entire thing down again for months, then you just don't do it. Then it's time to say, forget it. Let's move on. Right. But, but if you can, if you can say, all right, we're going to treat this one test, just like if somebody came down with the flu and they're going to go back, they're going to quarantine for however long it need be. And then we're going to move on and, you know, treat it like, like they're out and they're injured. And that happens, you know, and I know a lot of people have been throwing out the, what if that happened to LeBron James in the middle of the NBA finals? Well, it happened to Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant in the middle of the NBA finals. And right. we didn't, we didn't cancel the finals. We, we don't, we don't say the Raptors weren't a worthy champion or anything like that. So it, it is tough. It's that it's not the same exact situation because, you know, KD blown out his Achilles. Then did it's not like that transferred on to seven other guys, which, you know, somebody getting, getting the coronavirus. But I do believe the league's intention is to do the testing as people come in. And if you're all clear, then if you stay in and they can do as much as they can to keep it out, and other than food deliveries and the like, they ought to be able to pull that off. Then you should be able to to move on and say, I think we're going to be pretty pretty able to pull this off without any other significant um, illnesses or anything like that. And I think the league's played it right as well of saying, we're not doing any of this in anywhere in any city or any area until there's enough testing available that we're not taking it away from the folks who really need them. And I think that's the right way to treat it because if you do that, that is, you know, that that's, if you start taking those away from people, there's no way you win that PR battle. That's just a losing fight right from the jump. So I think the NBA kind of taking this thing slow in doing it, but I, I'm also encouraged by the fact that Adam Silver said two to four weeks, we got to decide because it is getting close to the period where, we could have some decisions here. Otherwise, you're going to run deep into next year and the planning and then all that. And, and, and now you're running the risk of versus really upsetting the Apple car for one year. You're doing it for two, maybe three. Is that really what you want? I think that's something that they're trying to balance as well. It's a balancing act. And I do think that's really important for folks to understand. It's not as simple as shut it down and make sure everybody's safe or as simple as go back to normal. There is no normal anymore. <laughs> and, the, and there definitely won't be any until there's a vaccine. And then even then, uh, things may have changed forever here. We have to understand that. And also, you know, I think it, it's important to have a little bit more empathy with one another. Uh, you know, just because somebody wants to open up parts of the economy or wants the NBA back doesn't make them evil. And uh, just because somebody wants to shut things down and make sure safety is the priority doesn't mean folks are paralyzed in fear. There's a middle ground there that I think we're missing. When we come back, we will continue to talk with Keith. Uh, he talked about the Grizzlies and some player exceptions via trade and things like that. Obviously, we have our draft series going on as we speak over at grizzlybearblues.com. So I'm going to ask him about who he thinks uh, would make sense or at least what the Grizzlies probably need uh, on their roster moving forward. So uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Keith here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live.
We're back, ladies and gentlemen. It's your host, Joe Mullinax, here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live, site manager over at grizzlybearblues.com. And I'm talking with Mr. Keith Smith at KeithSmithNBA on Twitter. He's written for Yahoo Sports. He's written for Real GM, Celtics blog, all sorts of different places. Make sure you're giving him a follow at KeithSmithNBA. Uh, in the previous segment, we talked about the COVID-19 pandemic, how it's impacted the NBA and their potential plans to restart. But now we're going to get back to the Memphis Grizzlies. And you tweeted out earlier today, Keith, I thought it was a really interesting point that you made, and you're exactly right in terms of general perspective with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, just the fact that they have done what they've done with free agency, or excuse me, with their front office has really been impressive. Uh, you tweeted out, the Grizzlies have four trade exceptions between $3.1 and $4.7 million. They can't be combined, and none are bringing in amazing players but those are tools that Memphis can use to help fill out their bench this offseason. This front office has really done a great job so far. Um, and you say that knowing that you just ate the Dion Waiters money after the trade, which I thought was necessary. Not everybody else did. Clearly, it hasn't mattered. Cap space was unlikely next year anyway, and that was my perspective as well. So anyway, it sounds like you have some love for the Grizzlies front office, which if you have been following uh, Zach Kleiman and company since they took over, uh, you should because they're one of the best uh, front offices <laughs> in the NBA during that time period. The fact that they are where they are, and obviously they lucked into John Morant, but the selection of Brandon Clark, the contracts that they've signed Jonas Valanciunas to, uh, Tyus Jones, there's all sorts of different players that have really kind of come through and shine. And Memphis is definitely ahead of schedule in their rebuild at this time, currently three and a half games up on their closest competition for the eighth seed in the Western conference playoffs. Uh, what do you think this team needs? I wrote as we started our draft coverage earlier in the week, I wrote about, you know, this team doesn't necessarily have any weaknesses, but they have areas where they could be stronger. Uh, the most pressing need in my opinion is another scoring wing similar to Dylan Brooks or better than Dylan Brooks in theory. Uh, that could maybe supplant him, put Dylan as a sixth man, which might be more ideal for his skill set, or at least somebody that is similar to Dylan so that you have that constant scoring threat instead of going from Dylan to DeAnthony Melton. Melton does a lot of things well, but scoring is not one of them, at least not at this stage of his young career. So a scoring wing, they don't have a true third point guard on the roster. Uh, Gorgie Dang is not going to be with the team long term, so um, whether he's traded in the next six months or his contract expires next summer, you could use somebody to back up Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, there's things that they could pick and prod at, but they're actually in a pretty decent position. So I'm curious how you could see them using those trade exceptions here coming up in the months ahead as the season does eventually end one way or another and the offseason begins and the Grizzlies continue to build this thing up. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think another score would be good. I see that as being uh, something that is a, a a relatively big need for the Grizzlies. I think Dylan Brooks is a little miscast in carrying as much of the offensive load as he has. Maybe I'm wrong and I'm willing to, you know, be there and hopefully I am. And he is, this is what he is and he's growing into that role. But, but I don't think you want to put that kind of pressure on him. I don't think um, John Moran for all the great things he can do. I don't know that you want him being a 20 to 25 point per game guy. Cause I think if he has to carry that kind of scoring um, load, then he's taking away some of his playmaking, which I think is where he really, really excels at times, especially I think he's, you know, 
come into the NBA and been a better playmaker than a lot of us thought. And I don't know that any of the bigs on the roster are are ready to quite step forward. So I'm with you. Another score, especially in the wing, I think is big. Shooting, right? That's kind of a, um, you know, everybody can always use more shooting. I, I think that the Grizzlies are, are no uh, stranger to that. I, when you look at it, they've got some pretty good shooters. And Jaron Jackson Jr., unbelievable numbers. I tweeted this, uh, I don't remember, it was a few weeks ago, but he has one of the uh, one of only three seasons in the uh, history of the NBA with Channing Fry and Carl Anthony Towns of guys who who shot over. I want to say it was it was some pretty really good percentage, and then a um you know a good good amount of attempts for guys who are six eleven and bigger, um, which is pretty impressive as well. So I think that's um you know really interesting there with him. But th- those are the things I really look at. Yeah, and then on the the trade exception front. They, they, they range from 3.1 million to 4.7 million. There's four of them. None of those are going to get you anybody, you know, who you're, you're going to say, Oh my gosh, this guy, this is it. We're going to the, to the finals now, but you, you can start to fill out the bench. And I think that's something that Memphis needs to do a little bit too. Uh, when I look at the the rotation as it shapes up right now, yeah, I think it looks pretty good. I think your three big rotation with Valanchunas, Jackson, and Clark is really good. I think Winslow and Anderson are pretty good um, combo forwards. And I think Winslow can maybe play a little bit of the two. I know the Heat, they say they played him as a point guard, but that wasn't really his role um, too much there. And then, you know, Morant and Jones, you you mentioned absolutely a third third uh, point guard. You know, I think is something you're looking at adding at some point here. Ideally, you know, maybe one of those kind of mid-career vet type guys who isn't going to be too upset when he doesn't play on any regular basis, but is ready if needed. And then after that, it's just filling it out with guys who, you know, have a role. Like I said, designated shooter would be good to somebody of that ilk. So I didn't go through and really say, you know, wow, this is a target. I think they should really go after and look at, you know, X player. But but I think those are guys you could start to to look at, um, you know, look at players who fit within one of those trade exceptions because that's how it has to work. And you can and you can really, you know, start to see like, yeah, it's there. One guy I, that did kind of jump to mind just as I was talking about this that could make some sense for Memphis is Reggie Bullock. He makes four point two million, and that's a guy who's you know throughout his career he's been a pretty good shooter, he's got pretty good size on the wing, and and somebody who could come in and help. And it's only one year left. It's only his contract's actually um, you know non guaranteed, but if you're getting him, you're gonna keep him. Um, you know you, you wouldn't trade for him otherwise. But I think that's it, and I don't think the Knicks are gonna draft too hard of a bargain for a guy like that. And I know you know that that's a little bit of a challenge, and I and I think. Those trade exceptions are good ways to add that kind of um, solid um, salaried player that without breaking the bank, because Memphis, it's starting to look like they're probably not going to have their draft pick this year. It looks like that's headed to Boston. So you gotta, you've got to infuse that talent somewhere on the roster. And I think those trade exceptions could be the way to do that. Thanks a lot, Jeff Green, right? Thanks a lot. <laughs> Finally, we can move on from Jeff Green. Man. Uh, bashing, which by the way, he wasn't as bad uh, as people make him out to be in Memphis. So uh, I think that's, that's something that I really do have a, uh, a bit of a grinds my gears thing with uh, in terms of Jeff, but there's no denying that, you know, especially once they got a first round pick back for him after trading him to the Clippers. And then they yep. gave that up for Deontay <laughs> Davis and Roddy Zagorak. 
uh, it, things got worse from there. So, to Boston again um, in that. that one yeah, too. thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Boston. <laughs> yeah. Way to go. You no, know, what's um, funny, I, I just got to jump in on Jeff Green. Sure. After, you know, he, he was obviously with the Celtics for quite a while, too. Sure. My belief with Jeff Green has always been if Jeff Green would just average 12 points per game instead of scoring 24 one night and zero the next, people would be fine with him. It's just the fact that, you know, hey, Jeff Green, you know, he scored, you know, 40 points. He's amazing. And then he doesn't do anything for two weeks. Right. And then you're like, what in the world is this guy? Like, if he was just a steady 12-point-per-game guy, everybody would be like, all right, that's fine. We're good. So that's just, sorry, that was my quick I think that's effect. No, I, I think that's a fair <laughs> point for sure. Uh, we'll get you out of here on this, Keith. And again, Keith Smith, NBA on Twitter. Make sure you're following him there. One of the best follows on Twitter, uh, as you heard in the first segment. Uh, he He broke, in my opinion. Uh, I know some folks try to take it from you there, Keith, but it was Keith's <laughs> idea to bring the NBA to Disney down in Florida. So I do think it'll be fascinating to watch that play out as things get rolling. A uh, couple of things that will get you out of here on Keith. Uh, as far as the season itself, do you think there should be any type of uh, plan in terms of playing regular season games? Should they jump right into the playoffs? Uh, our Justin Lewis over at GBB is kind of writing a uh, series about all the different ways that he thinks it could play out. Uh, today's article was just about, you know, going straight to the playoffs. You know, Grizzlies play the Lakers, you know, two, seven, three, six, four, five in the West and the East, and you just ride. Uh, obviously, Portland, Sacramento, New Orleans, uh, and, and on a larger scale, the NBA, considering Zion Williamson is on the outside looking in right now, but has a reasonable argument to say if we had kept playing, you know, we play Memphis twice, we beat them twice, we're right back in the thick of things. Uh, what would be if you were Adam Silver or if you were the person designing what this looks like in terms of the actual play on the floor, would you have a regular season or would you just get right into the playoffs and start from there? I think it all depends on timing. If you're able to get this thing going by, let's say, the end of June, then I think you can do something towards towards some form of regular season. I'm even a little in favor of, I know it would be weird to do it this way, but just bring those those teams in the Western Conference, the, the Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, and Spurs, who are all within four games and really still had reasonable life with this with the, the, this late in the season. Bring those teams in and let them, you know, uh, do some form of regular season, let them have their chance. Now they're not going to be able to, I know New Orleans had a very easy schedule down the stretch, so they're not going to be able to just pick off wins like they might have otherwise. But if, if they can run that gauntlet and play themselves in, great, let them play themselves in. That gives all the other teams a chance to play a handful of regular season games, treat them maybe kind of preseason-ish to you know build themselves up and get themselves ready. I don't, I, I don't get overly worked up about it because, and, and I don't want to be insulting here to any of your you know listeners and any of the Grizzlies fans, because I'm, I'm super happy if they make it. But I think whoever gets that eight seed is kind of fodder for the Lakers anyway. Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, so, but, you know, if that get, gets them in, you know, and, and openly as just a, you know, someone who absolutely loves the NBA, I wanted the Grizzlies, Pelicans, or Kings to get that spot because they're new teams, they're young teams. I thought they'd be fun and exciting. So once the Grizzlies kind of played there, and I'll, you know, be very open about this, I thought they had a chance to be one of the worst teams in the NBA. This as did season, everybody else, Keith. As did yeah, everybody else. Yep. 
yeah, they just, you know, young rookie point guard, all that stuff. We don't have to get into that. But it was, um, you know, it's been really fun to watch them kind of grow and play, you know, really kind of above their heads all year. So I'm I'm perfectly happy, too, if it jumps right into the playoffs and, and we say, this is it. We, we've got our – we're calling it today. Regular season's over right into the playoffs. I do think there is a little bit of pressure to play some regular season games, try to get those teams up to around that 70-game mark because that's when they, they trigger um, the vast majority of the regional sports network contracts trigger at 70 games so they will you know that that's there is some uh goal there teams are between uh four and seven games away from that as we stand today so i think that's uh you know something that's kind of floating around in the back of some minds there of you know yeah if we can do this let's let's try to get there and, and pull this off but i think you know overall in general i i don't have any issue at all with with if this is it if this is where where we go because i think you know i i, I think the teams that are there they, they've earned their way in it's not like like memphis has a half game lead or is tied right for that last playoff spot they've got a three and a half game lead would they have held on we'll probably never really know because i don't think we're gonna get uh, the, the schedule to play out the way it was going to play out but you know for me three and a half games with 15 or so games to play that's that's enough for me to say yeah that's fine i'm not gonna lose a lot of sleep over it I would agree. I think that's fair. And I do think that you're you're right about the regional sports contract thing. I kind of have had the idea kicking around in my head of like a round robin kind of thing. Like maybe you bring in, you know, the Grizzlies or whoever the eight seed is in the West and the East. And then you have four teams below them and you do like a round robin where you play eight games. And that kind of gets you up to that regular season number for those teams. I don't know what you would do with the other teams that are already more solidly in. That's kind of where my idea falls apart. Um, And I don't know what they would play for. They just play exhibition games. I don't know. I don't know how much sense that makes, but anyway, you could do a round Robin have like points scored as a tiebreaker, that sort of thing. And maybe that makes it a little more fair for those guys. And, and the teams that's in the eight C like Memphis would have a three and a half game lead and Memphis would have to go. Oh, and eight in the round Robin. You know what I mean? But that you would at least have a chance if you were those other teams to try to knock them out of that spot and you're actually playing them twice. So if you beat Memphis eight times, you know, somebody's probably jumping in front of them, of course. Uh, but again, that would, that would take some finagling with the other squads. It wouldn't be a clean break. We're wrapping up here with Keith Smith at uh, Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. Make sure you're following if you don't already do so. Uh, do you see the Grizzlies picking at number 40 overall, or do you think they're going to move up? Uh, it's so hard to know in the second round, those, those picks, it's, it's often more about, you know, we really want this guy. We have him on our board. So it wouldn't surprise me if they move up, but I think Memphis, they, they got their draft pick in effect. Um, when they signed John Tay Porter, I think that's what that, that contract was really designed around was we're not going to have, have a you know meaningful draft pick here. And that's not to say the 40th pick couldn't deliver somebody good, but we're, we're, we're going to go in on John Tay Porter and give him, him a shot. I think that was also part of the um, desire around Josh Jackson and DeAnthony Mountain too. It's, you know, two, again, younger guys that we can kind of build up. They, they got them for nothing at all. They're that was a you know real steal and i thought the approach they took with jackson of you're going to the g league and we'll see and then he played i think in my opinion the best basketball of his career when he came back and been played with memphis so i think it is um you know you've got that part of it there too where i think you're looking at it as whoever you get there maybe if there's a player you really like that's sitting you know in the you know low 30s you know meaning 30 30 or 
31, 32, 33, somewhere in that range, you jump up. But but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just stuck where they are and then kind of took best player available. They also don't have a ton of roster spots available, so that could be a good spot to draft somebody as kind of a stash guy who needs you know maybe a year in the G League or a year or two overseas or something like that. And I know that's always frustrating for fans because you want your draft picks on the roster right away, but, but I, that wouldn't surprise me either. You're exactly right. And, and I do think it's important for folks to understand exactly what you said about Jonte Porter, who I'm not as high on, but I do agree with you. They've they've taken stabs at guys like that, and it's worked out so far. Uh, Josh Jackson, indeed, the last few weeks there before the season was suspended, looked like a guy who, you know, you almost kind of regret that they weren't able to get that that uh, that fourth year option added on. The most Memphis can offer him now is a one year, eight point nine million dollar contract. And all it'll take is one team like the Knicks or the Pistons to offer a two or three year deal with partially. Well, they can offer him. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. They can offer more years than that. It just has to start at 8.9 million. Oh, okay. I thought because they opted out, they could only do one year, 8.9 million. Yeah. I misunderstood. You can go beyond it, but but it's just going to start at 8.9 million. But what I think is actually kind of good is no one's going to give him that much money, especially not with everything that's going on now and where the cap might be. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're able to get him back for, you know, six million or something like that and i think that would be a great move i i really yeah i'm glad you know it's it's always interesting i like um you know when i'm viewing this as an outsider and i'm only catching sometimes parts of games and i'm you know checking the box score and i'm like that was interesting i'll go back and rewatch. i always like hearing from the folks who are in there every single day watching all 48 minutes to to then you know kind of reaffirm like yeah no what you saw was spot on or to correct and say no that's not actually right he was actually really bad you know and those kind of things so that that makes me feel good because josh jackson's one of those guys i was looking at and you know i've been looking at his you know doing a lot of off-season prep and i'm like yo man this guy was actually pretty good for the first time in his career and this could be really interesting to see where this goes Memphis's front office has really hit a home run so far, yep. multiple home runs in terms of how they've built this thing up. They're, they have assets for trades. They have all sorts of things they can do. They can take advantage of other people's mistakes, and they've shown the capacity to do that so far, which is really fun to see because it's usually been Memphis and Chris Wallace in the past <laughs> that have been taken advantage of. So I think we finally have a front office in place that's going to return the favor. Keith Smith, thank you so much for joining us, sir. At Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. Make sure you guys are giving him a follow there. Again, thanks for the time, Keith. And of course, we'll have you back on down the road. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hope you all stay safe, you and yours. Absolutely. Thank you. Same to you and yours, sir. So for Keith Smith, for my co-host Parker Fleming, who wasn't able to join us this week, my name is Joe Molinax. We're going to do our best to do this more regularly here in the future. Uh, But again, until the NBA is fully back into swing of things, it's hard to have that hashtag content on a night in, night out basis. Uh, We're doing our best writing wise at GBB. We'll try to get GBB Live back up and running here in the weeks ahead. So for Keith, my guest, thank you so much. I am your host, Joe Molinax, site manager over at grizzlybearblues.com. Follow me on Twitter at Joe Molinax. Thank you. However you're taking in the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart. It's all appreciated. Until next time, grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. (laughs) 